Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Welcome back, everybody, to Savage to Sage. This is Daniel, the co-host, and today I'm really excited to be joined by Emily Kruger. Emily is the president and CEO of 16 Tech Innovation District here in Indianapolis, Indiana, where I'm also located. And I'm really excited just because, you know, here locally in Indianapolis, 16 Tech is um, been, you know, this up and coming innovation district that is in our world, you know, working with a number of tech companies, nonprofits. Um, it's just been a go-to place for, for them to build their headquarters or for some companies to get their start as as a startup and have co-working space there, but it's becoming an innovation hub, you know, for the the city and the state. And so Emily, welcome and really glad that you're here. Thanks. Really excited to be here. Awesome. Well, tell us um just the the Cliff Notes version of your story and how you landed at at 16 Tech. I I know from your background you you started out in, in the political space and then now you're Know, you're leading a a nonprofit organization that also is you know very connected with you know city and state initiatives. So tell us a little bit more about that journey to where you are today. Well, I've had essentially three chapters to my career. Uh, you acknowledge the starting point was working on Capitol Hill for former U.S. Senator Richard Lugar, and as a a 23 year old recent college grad. I thought I wanted to do something international and I was motivated and still remain motivated to have a big impact on the community in which I live. And I thought that uh, starting my career on Capitol Hill was was the way to do that. Um, I worked for Senator Luger for eight years over a 10-year period. And in my tenure, I um, was a, a press assistant, um, a staff assistant. I did fundraising for his reelection campaign. I was a deputy chief of staff. And then I was the campaign manager for his last reelection campaign in, in 2012. Uh, I initially approached Luger's office seeking an internship on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee because he was chairman at the time. And so after my first five years um, working for Senator Luger, I looked around and I realized that the people who I was most interested in that were coming up to the Hill and the, the groups that I saw really advancing solutions to the types of problems that I was most intrigued by were coming from the private sector. And so I, I took a hiatus from um, Senator Luger's office and I went to business school and I got my MBA from the Kellogg School of Management um, at Northwestern. And I did end up returning to the Luger organization, as I mentioned, to manage his last re-election campaign. But following his primary loss, I then uh, spent six years working for one of the largest private companies in Indiana, um, that company being LDI and owned by the Lacey family. And I joined LDI as it was transitioning to the fourth generation of leadership for the, the family-owned business, which is a really special 
milestone. Uh, three to four percent of businesses make it to that fourth generation. And LDI's initial investment and company had been a manufacturer of cardboard uh, boxes, essentially, in the early 20th century. And when I joined, it was mostly a portfolio of distribution companies. And um, the new CEO and fourth generation of the family, J.A. Lacey, who is a, a mentor to me, was looking to diversify um, uh, the portfolio. And in my six years with LDI, I got to be a part of the team that was helping to evaluate acquisition opportunities. Uh, but what really excited me too was the time that I spent working with our portfolio companies because LDI had a buy, build, hold strategy. So I would often lead projects following M&A activity, help with executive recruiting, fill in some executive vacancies. And in many respects, it was like MBA finishing school for me because I got to work with a variety of companies and leadership teams and see different industries as well. When I was approached in 2018 to join 16 Tech Community Corporation, I, I was really excited because it represented an opportunity for me to return to a line of work that was directly involved with community benefit and um, uh, really motivates me personally, but also because it was the opportunity to join a new a nonprofit organization as a second full-time employee and to help grow and develop not only the organization, but also to launch this concept of an innovation district, which had been part of the city's strategy for more than a decade, uh, but had not gotten off the ground. And so all of those things kind of combined the experience I had in the the public sector and the political arena, the experience that I had in private equity, and also the volunteer experiences that I had in my day-to-day -day right now, I get to interact with startups, with corporate innovation teams, with uh, policymakers who are trying to figure out how to create an entrepreneurial ecosystem that accelerates economic growth with residents in the neighborhoods around 16 Tech. And for me, it's that variety and the ability to translate between sectors, bring some best practices and help align efforts. That's a real motivator for me. I love that. Yeah. And just the diversity of experience that you've had that brings you to today. I think I, I always think about sometimes we don't, we don't see it right away in the moment of like, wait, how is this going to prepare me for the next thing? But, you know, looking back, I think about all the, the connections you had working for Senator Luger and having to work across, you know, politics, cross party lines, as well as like different constituents and find a solution moving forward. It, I'm sure that prepared you for a lot of what you're doing today. Uh, that's, that's awesome. We like to talk about uh, on Savage to Sage, just the, so, and let's think about, you know, when you first started at 16 Tech, obviously like in, in the community, like you said, 16 Tech had been something that was talked about. Like we even saw blueprints, you know, but there was not really anything to show for, you know, the actual district or buildings, you know, until the time when you started there. And so you're really, you start like we're a part of this launch team. And, and what we think of in those days is like, we call those the savage days where uh, when you're building something from the ground up, in your case, literally, you know, it's, it requires this special like grit and 
perseverance for from someone like you. Um, and it and it teaches us, I think I would say the best parts of us and each other, but also like the worst parts of us. And so could you highlight like in that stage for you, what were some of those like best things that you noticed about yourself that you hadn't noticed before? And maybe some of the, I mean, the worst parts. And what I mean by that is some some areas for improvement that were revealed during that time as well. Sure. Well, um, I remember very early in my tenure with with 16 Tech and I joined really excited because from my perspective, the ingredients existed to bring this concept of an innovation district to life in, in Indianapolis. So I felt very fortunate because I felt like I was arriving at the right time. Um, in terms of uh, what 16 Tech could be and an ability to get catalyzed. Uh, what I realized, though, was a lot of people at, were frustrated <laughs> because nothing had um, been perceived as having happened up to that point. And so there was like this, this pent-up demand. And I remember very early, I met with a mentor of mine and you know just was describing some of my surprise at what I felt like was a disconnect between the expectations that existed in the general public for where 16 Tech should be as a physical place versus the reality on the ground. And that, and that also included structural things related to um, uh, our ability to access funding, et cetera. And in the course of this lunch conversation, um, the men mentor said to me, Emily, um, when there's such a big gap between reality and expectation, the only thing you can do is sprint to close it. You're never going to bring people back. And that was a great moment for me. And um, it definitely marked a start of a chapter that was uh, de- certainly defined by Savage, you know, kind of the brute force to help some bring some things to life with 16 Tech. And our first five years of operations, I really feel like we're closing a credibility gap that existed and that we've made significant progress and an ability to do. So along that journey, there's lots of personal lessons um, on the the plus side of things. Um, I'm motivated by big challenge. Um, and so I think that, you know, my persistence, um, ability to tackle complex problems, ability to manage diverse stakeholders, those were all skills that, um, certainly have helped me during this time. But I've also learned other things uh, that I've had to improve and areas for growth along the way. Part of that too has been going from being the second full-time employee to the CEO of the organization is a process of learning to let go (laughs) at different stages. And then also a constant lesson in trying to balance what are the things that are deserving of my time and attention right now versus what are the consequences if I'm focusing on things that other people could do and thereby letting go you know, additional responsibilities. So it's been a real exercise for me in terms of scaling my impact. I've also learned a lot as a people manager during this time. My, my tenure up to 16 Tech, I was 
never a classically trained project manager, but that's effectively what I would do is I would go in and manage large projects, whether it be in a political arena or in the private sector. And so I would manage teams, but for periods of times, and they were all guided by project plans, right? Um, that you know, never uh, were followed perfectly and always had trade-offs that had to be made. But um, that w- it's very different than when managing a, a team for the longer term. And so part of where I've also grown is helping to set the conditions for success for others t- to grow. Um, and then also you know, really just learned a lot in terms of kind of organizational design and, and practice in a way that um, has been uh, a, a lot of fun, but certainly pain points over the last couple of years at times too. Yeah, great answer. And I, I think I want to go more in depth on that term letting go because I believe like in, in your seat and then you think about like a, a founder of a startup that, you know, it's, it's your baby in a way. I mean, in a way you've, you're kind of, you've been, I don't know, a midwife to someone else's baby, but, <laughs> but in a way it's like, it's become your baby similar to a startup founder, like that the company is their baby. I've, I've had so many conversations with people where that letting go piece is, is the most challenging. And so like, what do you mean by like, wh- what did you need to let go and and why has that been so important for you? I think part of it has been a recognition that, and, and this is part of how I helped myself learn through this experience was that in order to have the impact that I wanted to be able to have on the organization, I couldn't do everything. And so for me, that that's what helped me learn to let go is a recognition if I'm holding on to these certain things, uh, then I'm not going to be able to do other things. And so for me, it's been a process of scaling and growing my impact, um, which drives me personally and is part of what I want for 16 Tech, but has then helped me feel comfortable when when letting things go. And so, you know, part of that's been details. I mean, as a second full-time employee, I was involved with everything for 16 Tech. I mean, um, and played lots of roles and as have many of our team members. And so some of it has been uh, learning to get comfortable with specializing. Some of it is uh, redefining success as something I can hand off to someone else. Um, it's been a process of also, um, you know, building and developing trust with my team that um, they are following and and tracking the details. So, you know, I've been really big on um, building a culture of accountability. And, and that's something that's really important to me. I know that my leadership style is one where I like a lot of information for decision-making, but I like to make decisions quickly and move on from them. And so one of the things that's really important for me is um, having feedback loops. So that way people are, are sharing with me and keeping me in the loop. And I, I had some wonderful managers throughout the course of my career, but they likely recognize that the best way to manage me was to get out of my way and to give me wide berth. And so I've also had to learn, as I know lots of leaders do, how to manage people who have different personalities and leadership styles than myself. And 
Um, and that's been a big part of uh, what it means to let go too, is recognizing that shifting my focus uh, with my COO hat um, from how things are done to with my CEO hat, thinking about who is doing them, making sure it's the right person, making sure that there's alignment around what success looks like, but then letting them figure out the how and and to be comfortable with that. Yeah, I resonate with that so much just because I was, I'm not one of the co-founders of Fullstack, but I, I was employee number two, similar to you. And, and so I just was in on the ground floor of, you know, let's figure this thing out to make it, to make it go. And, and the letting go of the details, I think is partly, you know, I I would say it has to do with my knack for perfectionism, which is not, it's great for the drive to excellence. It's not great when you're handing things over and I hold myself to very high standards and in certain areas and, you know, it's it, probably too high of standards for myself. And then I would translate that to other people too. And, um, but yeah, what you, what you also said is just that, that people experience side too, is like, as you let go and trust them with important responsibilities that you used to do at one point, and you did it probably a different way. It's like you said, it's giving them that opportunity to, to grow. And which if you were, you or I were micromanaging somebody, it's, it doesn't give them that opportunity. And so, but yeah, it's, it's a hard, it's a really hard dynamic to learn when, you know, you've built something from the ground floor and you're, you're letting it go. It's, it's similar to, I mean, I keep going back to this baby metaphor, but it's like, you know, handing your baby off to someone when you go back to work to spend the day with them, to raise them, you know, to give them a, a positive nourishing environment and talk, a, talk a little bit more about that. And in, in terms of the type of environment that you're trying to create for your team at 16 tech, um, so that they can you know both, both be autonomous and, and accountable. I kind of heard those two statements or those two ideas and what you shared. Yeah, well, it takes a special person to work at 16 Tech because of the breadth of the work that we do. Um, We're engaged in real estate development activities. We're engaged in entrepreneurial service um, uh, and support activities. And we're engaged in community development work. And so it's really important to attract individuals who are motivated by our mission, but there's also some real tangible skill sets that we need um, in terms of leasing and uh, entrepreneurial support and community engagement um, as well. And so when I first joined 16 Tech, um, it was expected that 16 Tech Community Corporation as the nonprofit that was responsible for the innovation district was really just to serve as an intermediary role. And that meant we owned the land, but we were effectively going to subcontract all of the development as well as the management of the place that we were building to other groups. Uh, Fast forward five years, and we're now a fully integrated organization that has self-developed projects that is um, owning and operating buildings. And our team, while about 20 people, is still 
five times larger than that original pro forma suggested that was just going to take four full-time employees to manage the 16 Tech Innovation District. So, um, and we grew last year by over 50%. We started off 2022 with eight full-time employees and ended the year with, uh, with 20. And our team will not grow much in size at this point, but that's still a significant amount of change. And especially when you factor in that we have four full-time employees going into the pandemic. And so coming out of the pandemic, when both the nature of the work that we were doing changed, when 16 Tech went from an aspirational to an active place and our team has grown, it's really fundamentally changed what it is that we need to be successful And it's caused us to be very reflective in terms of what's the type of culture that we want and that we need to build in order to um, uh, have the type of impact that, that we want. When I was named the president and CEO last year, part of what I led was um, the organization through its first strategic planning process. And we've been guided principally by a master plan that outlines the land usage of the 50 acres that we own in the built environment, but had less of a focus on the programmatic plan. And so as we have um, uh, moved through that in this last year and the board approved uh, our first strategic plan in February of this year, in a parallel path, I worked with our team to update mission, vision, and values for 16 Tech. And those existed, they were written down, but a lot had changed from when they were first drafted to the organization that we were today are today and the organization that we want to be. And so over this last year, we've had multiple points where our staff has engaged in this process through some focus groups, some of which were facilitated um, with some surveys, with uh, some just team discussions, including the most recent one this morning. We're just kind of putting the last uh, bow on some of this work. But in the course of doing so, you know, we upgraded our values or refined them. And part of what drove that was a feeling like the initial values that we had crafted as an organization um, reflected broadly our work, but did not give us enough to hold one another accountable to how we do the work and how we want to show up as team members or as, as just the, 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 welcome wagon in front door to the 16 Tech Innovation District. And so we um, identified, uh, you know, our values, uh, first being innovation and entrepreneurship, the second being connection, inclusivity, collaboration, and community. But with each of these, we then double click to say, well, what does that mean if we value innovation and entrepreneurship? And we have statements associated with each of these that say, what do we believe as an organization and how does that mean that we show up? So we believe innovation is vital. We believe physical place matters. I mean, that's key to our work. There's so much that can be done remotely, but there are certain things that still require being in person. And it's not just the prototyping of products or certain interactions. And you know, we, we fundamentally believe everyone can be an innovator. That's what inclusivity means for us. And also uh, as part of our work, um, 
our value of collaboration fundamentally means that we believe collaboration is a winning strategy. We're not out to compete with other innovation assets or entrepreneurial service partners in, in the ecosystem. We're here to connect them and to make Indiana more competitive. And, you know, our, our last uh, value around community is really about the importance of being a good neighbor. We're doing work in the near Northwest, specifically the Riverside neighborhood of Indianapolis. There's roughly 40,000 residents in the neighborhoods around 16 Tech, 76% of whom are persons of color. And so we have looked to engage neighbors in every aspect of our development, from design of projects to constructing and contract work to scholarships and access to the classes and resources and programs in 16 Tech. And it's been really exciting to see this come together over the the last year. And so for me, having these clear values in place, having taken the time to go through the process and get input from staff to reflect on it, bring things back to them, makes me feel like there's a lot of buy-in for where we're headed as an organization. And then it also helps create a self-fulfilling and you know kind of culture where now others can help one another both celebrate their successes as well as acknowledge where they might be falling short and how they can help. And so each of our values is also backed up with effectively leadership capabilities that we believe everyone on the 16 tech team should demonstrate. And so we're now incorporating that into performance reviews, how we celebrate one another, et cetera. And, um, you know, I think it takes time um, to get that right. And so, you know, I, there's a part of me that wishes we'd had this five years ago, but I don't know if we would have landed in the same spot having learned some of the lessons that we have during this time. And so this is very much a living document for us that we'll continue to iterate on, but creates a really strong foundation in terms of the culture that we're building. Yeah, that's super helpful. And you actually answered a question that I often ask is like, how do you, how do you keep that living and breathing? Because you know, I think all of us have been a part of exercises like that where we did the strategic planning. You know, some of us also know how much we paid for that as well. And then it it be it can become this stagnant document that we created back in that the you know, over that three day retreat that we did, and then we don't revisit it. You know, it's just and it's it's not living and breathing, but it sounds like you have created some some rhythms there for your team to make sure you know, it is living and breathing and it does like evolve over time as well. So, would you say that's true? It is. Um, I would likely categorize that we're in the honeymoon phase right now where we're feeling really good and having patted ourselves on the back and having gone through this process. So the hard work remains in terms of, okay, now how do we, how do we make sure that we integrate this? How do we live it out? And, you know, part of it is making sure that we reference back to these things in our monthly all hands meetings, in our performance review processes. Um, One of the traditions that we have as a staff and was something that was started by one of our, uh, early employees who's no longer with our team, but nonetheless left a big mark. And it's the, you know, the concept of um, high fives, right? Just our way of celebrating what people are doing. And 
pre-COVID, that was a bulletin board in an office, you know, fast forward. Now it's a Slack channel where we're able to just congratulate one another when we see something small or big and point it out. And, you know, working to now attach that to the values. So when we celebrate people, we're reinforcing how they're demonstrating one of the values that that we've articulated. And so I, I hope that if we were to talk a year from now, that this would still be as front and center for us. But it's something that we feel really good about right now. And I'm excited to see what it means to have in place as we as we move forward. I also think it's going to help us significantly as we bring on additional team members because there's less of this process of figuring out what good looks like. And so it's not just incorporating this on the back end, but it's also incorporating it in terms of our, our hiring and what we look for in someone and, and how they demonstrate these things very clearly, right? We, you know, we, I mentioned connectivity is a, is a value of ours and that, you know, belief that physical place matters. Well, we need people on our team who are going to want to show up and work in an office, right? And so that's a, that's a big part by articulating our values. We're setting the expectations clearly as to what it means to be a part of the team. Now, there's still flexibility that comes in with that, right? And it depends on certain roles. But you know, it, it, what it does is it helps weed people out from the very beginning that if you're looking for a fully remote job, this isn't the place for you. And it it's not a matter of whether or not we're flexible or not. It's a matter of not where you are in your life right now. Does that physical connection matter to you in terms of how you want to work and how you want to show up? And that that's really key for us. Yeah. I bet we could spend a whole podcast on like what happened at with you all during the pandemic, you know, when no one was getting together in person. I remember, I think the first time that I went there, uh, to visit probably one of your other early team members and get to know the space um, and then visit a client who was there was like one of the pioneer clients um, or office offices at 16 tech that started in the middle of the pandemic. Um, so we could probably spend a whole podcast on that. But I want to, I want to go back to um, when you, when you talk about hiring for, the environment that you've you've created now with mission, vision, values. How do you and your team know? I mean, we can't always fully know because interviews are really only a, a glimpse into somebody. But like, how do you know someone in that process like really gets it, and you can see them be, becoming a part of your team? Like, what what are you looking for in that in that hiring process? Yeah. Well, we, um, and, and that's why we took the time with our values to also associate behaviors with them. So what does it mean to have these values? How do we think that that means that someone can show up? And so we can ask questions um, about their past experiences that might give us insight. Um, you know, I, I think the reality is, um, hiring is really hard and you don't always get it right. And having um, clarity around things like values helps people opt in or opt out. And it's better to have them. But at the same time, you know, that's why we involve multiple people in our hiring process. That's why we 
as we move forward to and integrate the values into our onboarding, there's ways that we can try and um, make sure that the time and energy that we put into a hire means that we're bringing someone on board um, to our team who's who's going to be a good fit and who's going to help contribute to the team. One, one of the challenges, candidly, uh, working in a small organization, and I think this is true of a startup and, and is not just true of a nonprofit, but you know, we're, we're a small team. We've got a really big job in front of us. We cannot afford from a time perspective, from financial, from a financial perspective to have someone who's along for the ride. <laughs> we need people who are rowing the oars and we need them rowing in the same direction <laughs> as everyone else. And so I think that, you know, those are some of the types of lessons that we we've learned over time. And I think we're we are getting better at identifying what does a constructive member of and a contributing member, someone who's going to add impact to our team look like. And, you know, for us, again, that starting point has been doing some of the deep work. So that way we can communicate and integrate it into our hiring processes as we move forward. So good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that, to, that intentionality. And like you said, I mean, a, an organization your size, it's a lot of the guests that we've, we've talked to on, on the podcast here are of that size as well. It's like, you can't afford, you know, to, to not have somebody that's, that's holding their weight. And um, at the same time, you know, it's like, how do you like, obviously people, People have life situations that come up. You know, we all have those personal challenges that get in the way. And so I think it's, you know, what I've learned too is kind of mixing. I I talk about the mix of like grit and grace. And so grit is kind of what we're talking about is that person that is just, you know, willing to throw themselves into tough situations, situations they've never dealt with before and, you know, figure it out. And you know, and learn along the way and document it and create good processes around it and, and just get the work done, you know, and then grace, grace is just having like that special patience. And I, I, I just call it love, you know, for the, the challenges that people go through. Without a doubt. And I think that's, um, you know, that's one of the, my, probably biggest personal lessons as a result of the the COVID-19 pandemic. I think, especially starting my career in the political arena, I kept pretty distinct selves from work and home. And uh, clearly the lines blurred in the last couple years, right, between work and home in ways that for me, um, have been productive because it means I'm showing up more as an integrated person on a daily basis in my work. And you you mentioned grace. You know, I think about it and I hold in my head frequently um, the notion about being curious before criticizing. Right. So you know, if something you know, to stop and ask the question to kind of assume good intent. You know, we have we have cultivate um, a, a positive. Um, uh, you know, some mindset as one of the skills that are part of our uh, values. You know, we have practice agility, right? It takes practice, you know, a- adjusting and pivoting. It's not, it's not comfortable and easy for people. So I think one of, you know, your, your, your point is well made. 
you never know what someone is going on in going on in someone's life. And that's not just with team members. Frankly, that's with some of the people who we serve on a daily basis, whether it's entrepreneurs or whether it's residents in the neighborhoods around 16 Tech. And so, you know, I've, I've learned to hold space for that. What I've also learned, and this goes back to your comments and our discussion earlier about letting go, is that so much can happen personally. Things can change. What I often can't teach for is someone's communication to know that they need to close the loop or to close a gap. And so for me, there's a lot of flexibility when it comes to the circumstances that someone might be dealing with, but that's where with that flexibility and responsibility, you have to have the accountability. And that's the communication that provides updates the, the feedback loop that's really key and I think allows employers to, to then um, be flexible in the circumstances that are needed, but it, it requires a, a, a culture of communication and those feedback loops to be in place. Absolutely. Yeah. So I like to end our time just asking the more fun question. So we, we have this mission, uh, for Savage Sage about like build without burnout. And one of the things that we've found as a key characteristic of you know, people like you and other you know, leaders, CEOs, entrepreneurs is the just the ability to unplug and you know to to really practice what we would call self-care in the true sense of the word, you know, like doing those things that really recharge us, refresh our vision. And so if you had, you know, an hour during the week or, you know, a full day on a weekend, you know, what do you do for fun or for recharge that just helps fill your tank? Yeah. So, um, things that I'm sure you hear from others, but I, I love being outdoors. Um, and so for me, there's nothing that can clear my head better than a hike or a bike ride, um, or a walk. And I never listen to music when I exercise, which I know is like, um, some people just cannot believe. Um, my husband's always listening to podcasts when he's working out, but for me, it's a, it's about emptying my brain. And so that is part of what helps me reset and, and recharge. Um, I also am a, a huge fan of Pilates and I think um, there are times when I go to Pilates that it's just as much for the mental as it is for the physical because it really focuses on your breath. And so sometimes I find that just that 60 minutes where I'm focused on breathing in and out is a huge help to me. I, I've I've tried meditation at times. I've never been very successful with it, but I kind of get that in my Pilates uh, routine. Um, I'm an avid reader and, you know, sometimes I will just disappear into a book and that's a way for me to get into another world. And, um, I, and that can be a, a, a way that I can recover and recharge really quickly. And then you can probably tell from the things I've shared so far that at my core, I'm an introvert. I mean, I show up uh, externally and I, um, and enjoy being around people, but I know I recharge and fill my cup with some of that kind of alone 
time. That's how my battery gets full. But my family is obviously a, a big part of how I uh, recharge as well. My parents moved to uh, Indianapolis last year, so they're local, which is great. And my husband's family is local. I have a seven-year-old stepson. And so, um, you know, there's nothing that can change my perspective easier than getting together with my stepson and my nephews and just, you know, putting myself in the world of an elementary school boy. And uh, um, I can have a lot of fun and, and just be able to step away from that, um, what's going on in the day-to-day as well. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's interesting how common it is that people in your seat are, are introverts. So I, I've heard that more often than I've heard, you know, extroversion for people that in a role that I, I think requires you to be very extroverted. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. So people want to get in touch with you and learn more about 16 tech and what you're up to, where would you point them? Yeah. Um, well, anyone's welcome to email me. My email is ekruger, K-R-U-E-G-E-R at 16tech.com. Um, check out our website, www.16tech.com. You can get access to all of our socials on there as well. And uh, there's so much to do here. Uh, if you're looking for a way to uh, just find out what's happening at a minimum, sign up for our events newsletter. We On a weekly basis, we've got networking and social activities that are bringing people together. We have learning opportunities, things that are taking place in our makerspace, a lot around product development, um, some of our other entrepreneurial service partners who are engaged in 16 Tech. And so it's a great way to plug in and um, we can go from there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Emily, for sharing your Savage to Sage journey today. And I'm looking forward to the next time. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.